Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Germany. We've visited the beer-drinking, later-hosen-clad country a couple of times before when we recounted the scandals committed by Wirecard and Volkswagen. Although it is far from the worst thing associated with, with the Germans, there is no denying that there is a marked history of financial scandal in the country. Today, we discuss the biggest accounting fraud in the entire history of post-war Germany, a little scheme concocted by one Manfred Schmieder, Schmieder, I can't, I can't say it, whatever, whose charisma was only rivaled by his incredible ineptitude. Join us today for a hard-to-track-down story of greed, political corruption, trickery, and potential kidnappings as we discuss the almost completely fictitious utility machine manufacturing business, Flotex, and the chic of Karlsruhe. Flotex sounds like a um, menstrual cup. Yes. It probably is, honestly, because it's like Playtex. Yeah. But Flotex. Yeah, that sounds like it's meant to catch my period blood. Yeah, like that like, sounds like it is designed to hold my uterine lining. That sounds like it is meant to hold my children who are not conceived. Yeah, let's see how That's many of these we can get. Sounds yeah. like it is supposed to sunny side up those eggs that were not fertilized. All right, too far. Uh, <laughs> I should have stopped you after three. You're right. I, well, good because I was like, I don't know. How shouldn't have let you go I for that. Go. Shouldn't have let you go for that fourth one. Uh, but here we are. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, another German story today. It seems like the biggest. There's like three big com- three big countries when it comes to financial scandal. Obviously, America and uh, Italy and Germany. Those are like the three biggest countries that we cover, at least so far. Yeah, that we cover. They're all up to no good. I'm sure there's more. I just think that it's like this is where capitalism is like the strongest. And mostly the reason we talk about Italy is because of the Vatican. Uh, spoilers. Maybe something come. Maybe more coming up on that. We know you guys love when we talk about uh, the Vatican scandals. Yes. And there might be some more coming up in We love in the soon. Pope. We love the Pope. We love the Pope. We love making fun of the Pope. We've done it a yeah. bunch. This... <laughs> The research for this episode today was insane. There was one article I found that was in English. So everything else, all of the research I did today was in poorly auto-translated English from German articles. I'm going to tell you what. If I would have gotten this episode, it wouldn't have happened. It was. Less, I would not have done it. it was I would have been fun. like, no. There was one... 26-minute documentary that was in English, which was great and a very awesome asset. Um, but, yeah, most everything else in this was, was scrounged up from German articles. So thank you, German Wikipedia and many other German websites that I visited. Wikipedia. As in its traditional pronunciation. Thank you. Yes. Wikipedia. Uh, so let's just get down to it. Huh? Let's get down to business. 
to defeat the Germans. Okay. Uh, so this whole start, this whole story starts with a young German boy named Manfred Schmieder, who was born in Karlsruhe. Where is that? I don't know. I didn't want to spend the time, nor did I have the desire to look up German geography for this episode. Well, it's in Germany. We know that. So don't. Yeah, it is in Germany. And I even say some states and stuff later. Very. I'm assuming I will say them very poorly, but we'll get to that later. So he was born in 1949. Oh, good. He just missed it all. Barely. Barely. Uh, Manfred would grow up to gain monikers such as the Sheik of Karlsruhe, which might be problematic i don't know but he got the nickname in the 90s um in the 90s so we're just bringing it up now and big manny uh because of his portly figure and his ability to command a company <sighs> and a room he was supposedly an imposing person i think he's kind of tall too but he's he kind of looks like german john goodman actually hot he got some weird sexy as me you heard it Time this year is going to come out. It's John Goodman already. John Goodman. You run to. Isn't he dead? No, John Goodman's not dead. Who's the dead guy? A lot of people, but not John Goodman. The fat guy. A lot of people, but not John Goodman. The funny one. A lot of people, but not John Goodman. Uncle Buck. That's John Candy. Ah, that's what I was <laughs> And he died like 25 years ago. I know, ago, I dude. couldn't remember his name. And who's the other one who was on SNL? Uh, Jim Belushi? You mean Chris Farley? Yes. Okay. He overdosed. But the, but the fact that there was already two of them is pretty... They were all pretty, fat and Pretty funny. bad. Um, a lot of people, man. A lot of a lot of fat, funny guys die early, unfortunately. It's a very... It's because they're... But a not-so-funny fat person. Manfred Schmieder. Manfred Schmieder. Uh, as a boy, he showed his prowess for gaining money and being evil when he started selling life insurance policies after school at the young age of 16. You know, he's just like Barry. Barry? Yeah, the best. Oh, you can't just say Barry. There's so I many. remember his Minkow. Last There's so Minkow. many Barrys. You can't just. We're not on a first name basis with Barry Minkow, okay? I can only think. The only, I, I knew it started with an M, and I was like, Barry Manilow. And I was like, it's not Barry Manilow. Definitely not. There's such different people. At least not yet. Uh, but Manfred Schmieder, in his young adult life, however, he would move on to an arguably more evil business of selling used cars, eventually owning his own used car and scrap business. The first, let's say, interesting event that happened to Manfred Schmieder, uh, by his own account, uh, Schmieder was kidnapped in the mid-1980s by two men who then stole millions of dollars worth of valuables from his home before releasing him. How do you steal a man this large? How do you kidnap a man this large? I got two of them. I don't know. You put like a ham sandwich in the back of a van and just kind of like wait. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, geez. Oh, my God. What is that? What is that? Is that a... Like oh, Augustus Glue? Oh, is that a, a ham sandwich? And then he takes a bite and you just like pull a string is and then the box goes over him. That's a brat boot. Oh, Jesus, that sauerkraut I'm sweating from all of my pits and areas. Oh, Jesus, get that into my mouth. And then they just kind of stole everything from his house. I do like sauerkraut, though. I don't blame him. Oh, my God. And his sauerkraut's good. We're not I denying love sauerkraut. it. sauerkraut. Uh, so this crime uh, <laughs> remains unsolved, but was actually featured on a TV show at the time called, oh, let's do this, uh, Achtenzeichen XY. <laughs> 
a show that aimed to solve real world unsolved crimes. And this crime was featured on an episode of this in the 1980s. It's like cold case. Also, this show ran from like the 1960s to like 2003 or something. Holy shit. So this was a popular TV show, I guess. It's like the Twilight Zone. I don't know. That had a lot of seasons. See? Uh, The only interesting thing about this whole ordeal, though, is that Manfred got $2 million from his insurance company as a payout for the goods stolen. And the incident could have been a plot for insurance fraud because uh, 10 years after the crime, actually, two perpetrators came forward claiming to have committed the crime in conjunction with Schmieder specifically to commit insurance fraud. But when they questioned him, they had, like, Their stories didn't match up, so they never actually filed any charges. So when he got kidnapped, he did not come back? Or he did come back? No, he did come back. This is before everything we talk about. So this is kind of the first interesting event where you're like, were you committing insurance fraud? Is this this a little suspect? It's sus. It is sus. Uh, But shortly after this incident, uh, Manfred would happen upon the technology that would shoot him into the upper echelon of luxurious living. Uh, In 1986, Schmieder discovered and licensed an American technology developed by a company called Flomol. This is the American version of Flotex. Flomol, a much worse name in my opinion. Uh, In a weird turn from the car business, This technology was for constructing horizontal drilling machines to lay utility pipes underground without digging up the surface. Uh, You basically snake a drill through a small hole in like the ground that extends boring a channel to run electrical wiring without a need to dig a trench or to like rip up concrete. You just like cut one small hole and it kind of like bores and you can track where it is and then like bring it up or whatever. Um, to put it in Nina terms, it looks like a big fuck machine. Like you know what I know, you know what those look like. Um, <laughs> so it's I've like, never watched porn. I don't know. Oh, uh huh. So it's like raised, and it's got like a thing that comes out of it and goes into the ground and drills, but like really big. So for like a giant. Yes. So like for Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Oh. I just knew that you already wanted to make a joke about all the, the pipe laying that I just talked about and things oh, like yeah. that. So I just figured I'd Lay jump that ahead pipe. of it. Lay that pipe. And make the dirty joke for you. Yeah, he really piped her hard. I don't think that's a phrase. I Does I, it blow the grounds back out? Yes. That machine? Yeah. And it shoots like... It bores it with liquid, too. So it like pumps this hydraulic fluid in and it spins and shoots liquid out of the front. As it goes, it's how truffle it works. Truffle butter. Because it's, like, it's mud, it looks like truffle butter. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave that one alone. Uh, if you don't know what that is, do not Google it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Nicki Minaj has a wonderful song called "Truffle Butter." That's look it up. Fucking disgusting. <laughs> Ugh. So in 1994, uh, Manfred Schmieder then created the company Flotex that would purchase and lease these machines to contracting companies that would use them. Uh, like with many accounting scandals, this started out as a legitimate business idea. Uh, Schmieder and his partner saw value in this technology and started to produce the machines and convinced some banks to give them the original capital to get the machines in the first place. Um, but we all know where this is going, and soon Flotex would become an empire of lies. Uh, Schmieder immediately starts 
gaining capital from banks to buy more machines. And he proves that there is an incredible demand for the technology. As by 2000, Flotex claims to have sold more than 3,000 machines at a whopping 1.5 million Deutsche Marks uh, per machine. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't have switched over to the euro at this point. Yeah. I quote I quote some later stuff in euros, but most of this is in Deutsche Marks. And Why I'm- did they... I don't know if you know this. I don't remember when they switched over to Euros launched in January of 2002, and that's when they took the changeover. So most of this happened in Marks at the time. I think I used Deutsche Marks most of this time, but if I say Marks, it's the same thing. Deutschland. So this caused Manfred Schmieder to become an incredibly wealthy man and he found increasingly crazy ways uh to show off his wealth okay so first of all right you need a big house okay so he got that plus some he owned a sixty thousand square meter estate in a beautiful area of germany that is supposedly very um uh only elite people yeah live there um but, I mean, you can't just have one house when you're rich. Right, Nina? No. Uh, I mean, as a rich person myself. Mm-hmm, with your multiple estates. I Yeah. I. Here's the thing. Why rent a hotel when you could just buy a house, you know? Of course. I or, mean, you know. Nina, she's got she's got little townhouses all over uh, Chicago under uh, the, yeah, the bridge on I mean, Monroe honestly, Street, under the bridge on Michigan Avenue. I've got um, yeah, absolutely at the heart of Chicago, the Pay by the Hour Motel. That's just a little bit north. Well, of I just us. work there, but oh, sorry, just an employee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just work here. Uh, so Manfred Schmieder, like you, also had a lot of other uh, places that he could visit that he owned. Uh, he owned villas in Cannes, Miami. Oh, it's not Cannes. Con. I knew it. It's it's Cannes. I looked it up. It's Cannes. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was so worried about mispronouncing it that I looked up how to pronounce it on Google, and then I still mispronounced it. Interesting, because my ex, they were pronounced it Con. I don't know. That's what Go- that's what the Google machine told me. So well, Google also told me how to pronounce Latka incorrectly. So I don't trust their oh, well, little translate. Might be wrong. But he also added in Miami, Ibiza, and St. Moritz. St. Moritz is in. Uh, predictably, from his car sales days, uh, Schmieder had a taste for expensive cars and had an entire fleet of them. But that isn't where his obsession with expensive travel toys stops. Uh, He also owned a $20 million, 55-foot yacht, which he bought from the Prince of Brunei. Do you know where that is? It was in, like, uh, it started with an S. I don't remember. It was, like, an island nation uh, in what is close to the Middle East. Because he was also known not as a prince, but also as a sultan, so... Yeah, he's right by Southeast Asia. Yeah. Brunei is. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Um, Because I'm a dumb girl. But that yacht was only one of his three yachts. He owned three yachts. Uh, he also had two private jets, one of which had solid gold tap handles in it, and a helicopter. The craziest of all of his assets, though, was an entire airfield, which he was awarded the contract to acquire in 1995, which used to be a Canadian Air Force base. Why did he need that? So he could have a place to put his jets and helicopter. And he also was going to turn it into a commercial international airport. Um, But mainly, this is where uh, 
he wanted to build a huge headquarter for Flotex, uh, which there were concept designs and videos that showed this like ridiculously crafted like like glass dome with like two other glass structures like all glass building. It was like this futuristic architectural thing, which probably wouldn't have happened anyway because it looked like it wouldn't actually work. Um, and this was all. I just want you to remember this was all for a company that made fucking drilling machines. So I don't know uh, how anyone looked at this and was like, yeah. How, like hey, how does how does the a company people need their drills? How does a company that only sells utility company drilling machines have enough money to buy a fucking airport and make a whole headquarters? It's not Google. They don't make like five million products or whatever. You know, like how did anyone look at this and be like, seems legit. <laughs> Well, you know, remember those like little bands that were popular and you took them off and they were an animal? Silly bands? Yeah. With a Z? Were, yeah. Like people got rich off of those. So it's not totally out of the realm. They reason. didn't get this rich. They weren't building. That's true. They weren't building a silly bands headquarter in like the United States Capitol next to the Capitol building. It's true. That All right. Is true. This is different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damn, silly bands. That's a blast from the past. Jesus. Dude, I miss silly bands. I want a silly band. I'll get I'll get you some for your birthday. Can huh? you still order them? I'm sure. Oh no. I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm, Amazon. I feel right like now. I feel like Joe Rogan podcast right now because of the one time the 30 minutes I listened to an episode so I would actually have an opinion on it cuz cuz you know I was always like the fuck Joe Rogan this is stupid and then I was like well you've never listened to it maybe you should listen to it That's way too long. It. That's that's one thing I can say. I started I'm yeah, like this is this is like hours. 2 hours or whatever. Yeah, it was like a no. 3 hour long episode. I only made it 30 minutes but they had a guy who was like they're like hey look that up and then he would look it up and that's how I feel right now. Silly bands. Hey, John, can you pull up the silly bands video? Have oh my you, God, have you they seen still this have shit? them. Of course they do. Schmieder's obsession uh, with luxury didn't just stop at collecting expensive objects. It also extended to keeping expensive people. Now, what do you think? Let me finish. Uh, in the form of politicians. And escorts. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. Come on. You don't have that much money and you're not buying an escort. I don't believe it. Especially if you look. Like that. Like he had a wife and some kids, but I don't think she's hopping matter. up on there anymore. Uh, she can't find it. Gross. Get down on it. Dig it in. Dig well, it in. I can't because I can't find it. Dig it in. Dig it in. Uh, Manfred Schmieder remained incredibly connected in the political sphere of the German state where he lived and operated out of Baden-Württemberg. Got it. Uh, Schmieder made many donations to multiple prominent political parties and had one prime minister publicly call Flotex the gem of their economy. And another prime minister gave the keynote address at Schmieder's 50th birthday party that he threw at his mansion. Uh, the prime minister was also there at the groundbreaking for the airfield and HQ that Schmieder was building. Uh, he won these favors through his political donations, uh, but also through an incredible ability to schmooze. Uh, he would invite politicians and possible lenders out to lavish parties on his estate, on his yachts, jets, or helicopter. It was said that he purposely kept meetings with possible creditors short and would transport them around town in his helicopter or to a quote-unquote liquid lunch. It's because he was on a diet. Where he would treat bank officials to copious amounts of alcohol while discussing business. Probably not the best state of mind to decide the fate of literal billions of dollars. 
I don't know. Every time I make an important decision, I make sure I get drunk first. Well, I mean, I feel like this is actually much more common in business than people like to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Business you just get together and get lo- fucking sauce. Oh, they get, they get turned business people and then and you're like yeah let's do the fucking merger man but you've, but well, you've had who like was 17 that guy? shots who was that guy that you talked about on a smalls claims court that got drunk and like tanked the economy because of all the bad deals oh we t- we talked about that uh oh no that was on the uh the mistake menagerie episode where the guy uh yeah he was an oil futures trader and then he blacked he was like blackout drunk and then Caused the price of oil to rise by over a dollar a barrel on the global market, which was like millions upon millions of dollars in volume. <laughs> he traded like oh, seventy percent like of the oil volume in one night. It's crazy. Um, they do that. They do this probably too often. And Manfred Schmieder was known for these liquid lunches uh, with Schmieder's ability to grease the wheels with charisma and demonstrations of his supposed vast wealth. Uh, he was able to grow Flotex to insane heights. The only problem was, is that of the 3,000 machines that Flotex claims to have sold, less than 200 of them were real. They didn't even exist? They had 185 machines. Bro. But they had sold 3,000. And they had actually sold them because they sold them to the banks. So let's get down in to the accounting scandal that happened at Flotex. We knew, obviously, where this was going. Uh, uh, this entire empire built on nothing but lies. Early on in the process, the machines that Flotex were selling producing underwhelming results. It turns out that this type of drilling most of the time wasn't feasible because rocks and other existing utility lines got in the way. So it didn't even actually work very well. They do still utilize this today, but it's be, it's gotten a lot better. And at the time, it just it really didn't work. No one was using it. No one wanted these machines. Although the company only truly had around 185 machines, while they had paperwork saying that they had almost 3,000. Now, how this would work is that Schmieder set up shell corporations uh, that he secretly controlled, including one called KSK, which was the company in charge of purchasing the machines from the manufacturer. So KSK would purchase the machines from the manufacturer out of Spain who would build the machines. Okay. They would then sell them to banks. Okay. And then transfer the machines to Flotex that would then pay leasing fees. They would pay a lease on it to the banks because the banks technically own the machines. So Flotex didn't have the capital to buy all of the machines. So the banks would buy the machines and then lease them out to Flotex. And then Flotex would either use them themselves or more often, they would give them to, um, oh, what are they What are they called? Oh, they called them system companies, like other companies that, like construction companies that would then use them, pay money to Flotex, and then Flotex would pay money to the banks who actually owned the machines. Interesting. Supposedly. Schmieder, however, covertly operated KSK. So he, he was controlling KSK, but... He put like dummies as CEOs and like people who led it, but he was actually making the decisions for KSK. And he also made up most of the systems companies that they were supposedly leasing the machines to to use. So it was all fake. 
they were generating fake machines that KSK would then sell to the banks. But the banks, you know, like they don't have to ship them the machines. Then they don't ship the machines to Flotex. They just say, hey, we got these machines. We're giving them to Flotex. Buy them from us. And then they'll pay you the leasing, the lease payments. So they never have to, they technically don't have to see every single machine. Uh, And the supposed manufacturer that KSK bought the machines from in Spain wasn't even real. It was a fake company they set up in Spain that had no employees and no actual headquarters. So they only bought like the original, like 185 and like never bought any more. What the fuck? So they faked buying all of these uh, and they were simply selling the same machines to the banks over and over again. The only thing that the bank required, like I said, was a document showing a transfer of the machine from KSK to Flotex to pay for the machine. Then Flotex would be paying the leases on the machines to the banks with the money acquired from them in the first place. So they pay KSK for the machines. KSK would secretly send the money to Flotex and to the system corporations that they would then use the money from the banks to pay the leases to the banks for fake machines. So basically, the banks are paying their own lease payments on the... on the That the, is insanity. On the machines that don't even exist that they own, technically. That is all insanity. They also falsified all the documents to go along with this, uh, funneling money to the fake system corporations to make it seem as if they were paying Flotex to generate a fake profit. So they're also rigging the profits for Flotex, which in turn gets them more investments from more banks. That in conjunction with his ability to take them out and get them really fucking drunk and then show them all right, these, right. show them all these fake numbers well, and, and then, then get them like, to give them more money to yeah. buy more fake machines. Yeah, and then it's like no questions asked. Yeah, but in reality, no one was really using these things. Uh, so the banks and their auditor would stop by to inspect the machines that they bought. So what Flotex would do is that they kept, like, some new machines that they never shipped anywhere just in their warehouse. Mm -hmm. They were always the same machines. Mm -hmm. And when the banks or the auditor would come by, they just swapped the plates and the the identification number. And then they'd make sure that it matched their paperwork upstairs of the ones that they supposedly manufactured and supposedly bought. They just swapped the plates, and they'd come by, and they'd compare the document to the plates. They'd be like, yep, these are the ones. And then when they'd come again, they and just, it was just the same machine. They're like the same like five machines that they would just swap the license plates out on. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> smart. That's pretty smart. Uh, and the funniest thing that they would do is that they actually would go around and parade these machines in use at construction sites to investors. And they would, they would show them, look at all these machines we'd have. They'd take them to one site. They'd take them to another site. They'd take them to another site. They'd show them these machines at every single site. It was the same machine that they'd move in between, <laughs> like during lunch breaks. They'd go to one site, show it to them. They'd break for lunch. They'd have some guys come out and move it to the next site and say it's a completely different machine at the next place. <laughs> you know, we talk about these stories and it's like, I, you can't even believe that this is happening. This one's funny because it's like, it's really It's kind of, they even describe it in a lot of the articles I read as like, it's kind of naive and like juvenile. Like it's kind of a stupid scheme. It's funny. It's just, this is like something that the stupid evil villain in like a cartoon show would come up with. Like they like come out. Yeah, it's very childish. It's like, oh, we'll get them. They're just like moving the things and swapping out the plates and being like, man, see the new machines. It's, 
It's, and then people believed it. It's stupid. It now, is stupid. Now, of course, even stupider, this whole thing, it, it boiled down to kind of being run like one big Ponzi scheme where they used funds from new investments from banks to pay off the leasing fees on the old investments from the banks. Because here's the thing. Like, they're still paying all of the leasing fees on all these machines that they fake bought. So it got to the point where the leasing fees were like 60 million marks a month. So you have to pull in at least 60 million in new investments just to pay off the yeah. previous investments. Yeah. So obviously that kind of pace is not sustainable. Mm-mm. And that is why in February 2000, Schmieder and many of his associates were arrested on suspicion of fraud and tax evasion, and they were kept in prison because they were seen as flight risks. And the Flotex scandal had finally come to a halt. So in the end, this whole cockamamie, I think that's a very appropriate term here, cockamamie scheme... um, Defrauded corporate investors out of almost 4.3 billion Deutsche Marks. That's billion with a B. Or around 2.2 billion euros at the time, which I think adjusted for inflation is almost 3 billion euros today. Um, which makes it the largest economic fraud in the in Germany in the post-war era by, wow. sheer, by sheer volume. Um, Schmieder was convicted on numerous counts of money laundering and fraud and sentenced from anywhere between 6 to 12 years in prison. They have minimum sentences, uh, I guess, in Germany for a lot of charges. So minimum 6, maximum 12, which, funnily enough, was overturned due to a possible judge bias and then reevaluated. And uh, guess what? I mean, I know you're looking at the outline, but guess what he was resentenced for after, after they looked at it? He was sentenced from six to to maximum of 12. 11 and a half years. (laughs) They knocked off six months. They're like, ah, one more million dollar and we would have given you 12. They were like, "Mm, yeah, the judge might have been biased on this. He might have given you too much. We're going to give you half a year less. (laughs) Um, That being said, uh, he did serve the minimum. He was released in 2007 after serving six years in prison. Um, Schmieder, though, also uh, later admitted to bankruptcy fraud uh, related to hiding assets in expensive paintings and a, a, an expensive SUV that his wife had uh, during his bankruptcy proceedings in 2005, but he was given a suspended sentence, so he didn't actually serve time for that because he admitted to it, I guess. They probably okay. just took the paintings in the car, honestly, yeah. and were like, fine, you admitted to it, just give us the stuff, but whatever. Um, the worst part about this, though, is that from the documentary I saw and from some stuff I found online, Schmieder still seems to be living pretty well financially. He's living in a, like a really nice house. Um, he was wearing very nice clothes still. Um, and he doesn't do anything. Like he's not like he doesn't have like a job now. So this is probably because he hold away money from the scheme that they couldn't get back from him. Um, wow, what a dick. It was determined that he funneled about 350 million Deutsche Marks to offshore bank accounts in tax haven countries. So I feel like they can't get that money back. No, you can't. If it's in like Switzerland or something, you can't get it back. So he's still living fine. He scammed people for about five years and he gets to live 
rich and lavishly. Not as lavishly. I mean, he doesn't have jets and a helicopter or whatever anymore. But Still, though, that's so annoying. But he gets to live off of this scam for the rest of his life. Fucking douchebag. Exactly. Now, the auditor of Flotex was one of the big four. Not Ernst & Young this time, believe it or not. Although, that is another member of the big four. This is KPMG. Um, and... During the financial scandal, they submitted multiple unqualified audits of the company of the company's finances, and they did agree to a settlement later. Uh, I didn't put the amount in here. I think it was like 108 million uh, marks or something. Uh, while of course not admitting any any wrongdoing on their part, because that's how the auditors always do. They're like, "We didn't know. We'll pay the fine, but we didn't know." You know, and I don't know. Like, obviously, they were really good actually at. Um, cooking their books to make them look legitimate mm-hmm. because also like right before they got arrested, um, they had plans to release a bond issuance for like six and a half billion marks or something like some crazy amount that they were about to get a big inflow of capital from. Oh wow. Which would have kept the Ponzi scheme going for, for way a long longer. time. But luckily they were tipped off by like Spanish tax evasion companies about like the shell company not being oh. real or whatever. That being said, they were tipped off first four years before the arrest. In 1996, someone submitted a like serious inquiry about them mm-hmm. uh, and, and something being wrong with their finances. But the government kind of dragged their feet into looking into the fraud. And they think that this is because so many politicians had endorsed Flotex as being such a good company that they just didn't want to you know, drag their name through the mud because they were going with it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so much so that they actually, uh, a suit was brought against the German government over them um, not reacting quick enough to this. Oh, wow. But it was dropped. Of course it was. Um, so that didn't actually come to fruition, but I mean, probably. <laughs> yeah. So... Although information in English about this subject is incredibly hard to find, um, this story has been sensationalized in many forms of media in German uh, from a 2019 television film entitled Big Manny up to, and I shit you not, this is real, a 2011 musical called Big Money. They'll make a musical out of anything these days. They really will. I didn't look up any of the music for it. I don't even know if you can find it. Not interested. They did talk about there's a scene, I guess, where there's like this culmination where they're going to set off like fireworks for like uh, a headquarter like reveal. And instead of the fireworks, it's police cars. <laughs> that was it. That was the only thing that was that was about it on the German Wikipedia page that I read. You know, I could go my whole life without watching that one. I'd be all right. I think so, too. I also don't think it's going to be touring in Chicago anytime soon. Uh, I doubt it. I don't know if we'd have a very big market for that one. Like I said, no, I I honestly think after looking at this, this is probably one of the most in-depth case studies and like like just accumulation of this topic in the English language that's available. No, I believe it. Which is really cool that that we get to yeah, be... Yeah, that we were able to cover it because not We get to be people. the people that, yeah, bring this because this is one of the biggest frauds of all time. It's just we don't talk about it in, in America that much. And I think that's the difference between uh, Wirecard and Volkswagen, like I mentioned at the beginning, is that this didn't affect America that much. Yeah. So we don't talk about it. It yeah. was just in Germany. 
but it's interesting nonetheless. Actually, one of the only other English things I found is I actually stole a textbook. I searched the ISBN on like an online uh, textbook uh, library where you can find textbooks for free. And they had a small section on, it was all about accounting fraud committed in different countries. And there was like a page and a half on this scandal. Oh, interesting. It had a flow chart. I was like, this is great. We love a flow so chart. Thanks to that guy. But a I'm not. Flow sp- text chart. But I'm not spending, if it was like 10 bucks for the book on Amazon, like for the, the ebook on Amazon, I would have got it. But it was $78. Oh. So I was like, well. No. This is why education education publishers are just ripping off students in America. So No, especially not, if it was only one page. Like, if there's only one page of stuff. Oh, no and you not. could buy a chapter. It was $42 for one chapter. Get out of here. And I was like, okay, fuck you. I'm not giving, I'm not giving to this. So I'm standing up. I'm standing up for my rights. So although no... Individual people were affected by this scheme. A fact that Manfred Schmieder will happily bring up in any interview. He says it every single time. Uh, the effects of this scheme on the economy are unknown in scope. It could be huge. That's a lot of money to just be scammed out of the economy. Uh, Schmieder's greed and this alone led to the fraud that drained billions of dollars from the German economy into his own pockets to be spent on stupid shit like cars and boats. Manfred is an incredible mix of a child that wants nothing more than to play with toys no matter what he has to do to get them, and a charismatic adult businessman ruthless in his methods. An incredibly dangerous combination. Uh, This shows us that although America may be the cruddy jewel in the crown of white-collar crime... Germany sure is a close second. So that's it for today. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. It was an endeavor for me. It was for you. So so thank you. But I think. I think you did a good job. With with the resources that you had, you did well. And this is an interesting one, honestly, just because it's so stupid and no one knows about it. No, you're right. This right. isn't this isn't the Enrons of lore that we've done, you know? No. This is this is something new and exciting. Obviously, if you're here, you at least find financial our crime at least a little bit. Yeah, at least a little bit interesting. Or our content about it at least a little bit interesting. So hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did enjoy today's episode, it would help us out a lot if you would show us. And you can do that for free just by uh liking uh, this episode on whatever podcatcher you listen to. You can rate it. Uh, you can give it a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. And I know you can follow on any of them. Uh, yes. You can also yeah. share it on any of your social medias. That's free. And, you know, people share a bunch of stupider shit on Facebook than this episode. So you might as well give it oh, a try. absolutely. And uh, you, the best thing you can do, suggest it. Mm-hmm. If someone, you know, people listen to podcasts now. The average person listens to something like four different podcasts. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so if someone's looking for a recommendation, just say, hey, why don't you listen hey, to White Collars Red Hands? have you ever heard of White Collars Red Hands? You know, and that helps us out. And 100%, you don't got to do anything except for say a sentence. That's not too hard. Uh, now, if you want to open up your pockets and instead want to give us money, which is also, I mean, hey, 
we understand the irony of that, but it's what it is what makes the world go round. It is, unfortunately. So if you want to support us that way, hell, you can by buying our merch. Uh, our merch is through T Public. You can find the link in the show description, or you can go to our website, whitecollarsredhands.com, click the button up top that says check out our merch. That'll take you straight to the page. We get a kickback from all of that. You can also, for free on your part, but gives us money on our part, go to YouTube on Entertainment Buffet and watch our videos there instead and we get a little bit of a payout from that. Yeah, we uh, do. From the YouTube algorithm as well, the YouTube gods. Um, So you can go ahead and do that. Another free way though to support us, just follow our socials, and that's just yes. a click, right? You know, that's uh, twitter.com, uh, at whitecollarspod, uh, Facebook. What? Twitter.com at whitecollarspod? Yeah. You're going in a different order. Yes, oh, I am. I don't like it. Uh, Facebook.com slash whitecollars, red hands. Uh, Instagram at whitecollars underscore Red hands. Uh, you can also suggest an episode to us. We do a fan submission. <laughs> You're still skeeved out over this. I don't like uh, it. You could. It's you could. Order. We do a fan submitted episode every single uh, every single season. So you could be the next one. So you can submit uh, directly to us either using the contact us uh, section on our website or just send us an email or whitecollarsredhands at gmail dot com. Uh, you can send anything to that. I don't know. Say hi. I'm lonely sometimes. Yeah. We don't have any friends. You can just say hello. Because Sean's my only friend. That's that's sadder for you, honestly. Yeah, it is. Because I'm worse than no friends. Uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> thank you. That confidence boost. Uh, and I think... I think I, that covers it. That's all I got. So thank you guys once again so much for listening. Manfred Schmieder, uh, the second worst German in history. Uh, that's probably not even true. I don't Gr- think Goebbels is up there, right? Uh, <laughs> Who? Goebbels... It's Hitler's second in command. It doesn't matter. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Hands.